Needs Now with hosts Tom Wisenand and Josh Monroe. We hope that you're able to leave feeling encouraged and ready for another day of changing lives in the field of education as we speak with inspirational teachers from across the nation and world about what keeps their spark lit. In this episode, we talk with Jody Miller, a PhD student at Johns Hopkins University and creator of WellCheck, an app that measures student well-being about how she went about creating WellCheck and the power of asking students about how they feel. Without any further ado, Jody Miller. Jody, thank you so much for being here with us tonight. For our listeners that don't have the privilege of knowing who you are, could you tell us a little bit about who you are, where you're from, and what's your role in education? Sure, so thank you. Um, I'm Jody. I am a former high school bio teacher in Philadelphia, so I taught for three years, and now I am a PhD student in education at Johns Hopkins. That's really cool, Jody, um, and I'm super thrilled to talk some more about what it is that you're studying and kind of your project and mm -hmm. the power of this project. So um, we'll just let the cat out of the bag and tell us what you did and what you're doing and why you're doing it, if you would. Yeah, sure. So I'm also the creator of Valtrek, and I should include that as part of my titles. But um, so I study stress. I focus on what is stress doing to the brains and bodies of our students? How do we think about measuring stress? And most kind of importantly, the bottom line is what can schools do to serve as a buffer for students who are experiencing a lot of stress and trauma? And Valtrek kind of came out as a part of my research, but also my experience as a teacher. I was in Philadelphia, and I found that with my 10th and 11th graders, it was so hard to know kind of how they were doing. And when I did have that information, it really helped me be a better teacher for them and support them and build stronger relationships with them than when I didn't. And our counselors would give us a heads up, like the student had a really tough weekend, they may have different behavior or they need me, they may need additional time on assessments. And that helped me kind of meet them where they were. And so we were thinking about like, well, what if we could give teachers that every day with a system like WellCheck? And that's kind of what led to that process of creating. And, and here we are, I guess, about almost a year later. That's awesome. So it's been a year. Mm -hmm. um, tell us what WellCheck is. How, yes. how would teachers use it? Yeah, great question. So we started working on it in uh, April of last year, and it launched in October. And what it is, is it's a web-based app. So I make note of that because students don't need to access it on their phone, anything that has internet. And it is a check-in system. So basically every day students are asked, how are you feeling? And overall, how are you doing? And we ask, the first question has a range of emojis. So we've got like 10 to 12 or 13, depending on students' age and developmental stage. And they can choose as many as they see fit because we can feel more than one thing at a time. And then underneath, when we ask them overall, how are you doing, we have a one through 10 scale. And that's really helpful because we use that to kind of flag our students of concern. So anybody who's in that one, two or three range, we kind of flag as maybe they're having a hard time and we make that known to teachers via email, but also dashboard. 
I love this too because not only does it give teachers good information, but it it helps the students too. They're they're starting to learn to reflect on themselves. I think that that's a really awesome thing to help kids understand. Thank you. I think that was part of our goal is thinking about so self awareness is one of the five castle competencies, but also more importantly, kind of giving students a pause in their day, whether it's in the morning of 30 seconds or a minute to just think about how am I feeling and kind of take that inventory within themselves because so often we're just constantly on the go that we don't really take that time to figure out what's happening. Like, how am I feeling? What is something good, bad? We just kind of go and just say tired all the time, so. Yeah, I would be really curious. Um, what are some of the trends that you're seeing in student stress and is there are there trends uh, Josh and I both teach elementary I teach fourth grade Josh teaches fifth grade are there are there differences or similarities in the trends between elementary and the stresses they're feeling and in high school and the stresses they're feeling yeah such a good question so we haven't we have some August data that we haven't yet kind of combed through but we can really speak better to like last year's data and what we found was that as the year went on, the percentage of students selecting happy decreased, which I think kind of makes sense given what everyone was going through. We also noticed that students definitely became more unmotivated over time. I think winter break seemed to help. We noticed kind of right after the January break in February, students were a little bit less restless and a little bit more focused. So thankfully like lonely and sad were pretty consistent, but pretty low overall. What we did observe, which is not surprising, is that our elementary school students seem to have fared better kind of through the storm of COVID. And they were consistently reporting feeling happier, more excited, more focused, um, less angry or worried. Whereas our high schoolers tended to report feeling more blah and tired mm -hmm. and unmotivated and which kind of tracks with what we would expect, which is good in that our intuition is probably close to being right. but also it makes us worry about what's happening in our middle and high schools. And it's, it's interesting that what you talk about after, after winter break, for example, is, is that the trend throughout every break that, that you looked at, like a spring break or a fall break? I guess I don't know what it's like out in Philly or... That's such a great question. So we actually haven't, because all of our schools are on different schedules, because we're really working with schools across the country, we actually didn't really hone in on other spring breaks because the nice thing about winter break is everybody has it at the same time but that's such a good question and something we're hoping to look at this year because we have a larger kind of sample size we're working with more schools so that will be helpful one thing which probably won't surprise you was before winter break we d we saw this kind of subtle but yet significant decline in well-being scores among students which isn't surprising i think coming into the holidays and 2020 was underwhelming for so many people who are used to being with family members that maybe they couldn't be with. So I think our goal this year is to really kind of get into more data and try to understand how are students feeling? Because we, you look at them, but it's so hard to know. You know, Jody, I think that's something that I find really, really amazing about WellCheck and the idea that emotions are like that, that gray area, right? Like it's hard Great teachers intuitively check in with their kids every day and they can tell you how a kid's doing, but that's the teacher's perspective. And um, I think it's really fantastic and amazing how like WellCheck is putting the data side of things to emotions for students. 
and that it is student student driven right it's not my perspective it's it's the right. students feeling so um what is the power from marrying the feelings and the data you know what i mean what what actionable response would typically a school district or a, a teacher have for that so i think that so thank you. I think that was a big thing for us because so while so many teachers are doing an excellent job checking in with students, I was a high school teacher with five sections of like 30 students. So there was no way I could have a pulse on 150 students on a given day. And also I think especially as our students get older, they're socialized to kind of hide their emotions and kind of mask it with what with things that are feeling more acceptable. So for boys, unfortunately, this is very gendered, but until we kind of really move away from these gendered norms, boys are more comfortable presenting as angry than they are sad. And, and students are more comfortable saying that they feel tired or stressed. And, and those may be true, but they are more inclined to say that than sad or lonely or some of these other more vulnerable emotions. So giving students space to say that privately can hopefully facilitate meaningful conversations between students and teachers. And so at the, at the kind of student teacher level, we've seen teachers follow up with students, whether in person or on Zoom and Zoom rooms and just kind of following up with the student about like what's going on or how can I support you. We also let students like self identify if they need support. So that's another way that students can really subtly and not without having to like look an adult in the eye say I'm having a hard time. And then for schools, what we've worked on a lot this summer is looking at trends and subgroups. So looking at like, how are boys doing compared to girls, compared to students who may not identify as either, or how are we doing across different like racial identities? Because all that information can get hidden in an average, but in the research, what we tend to see is as students get older, girls start to report lower well-being than boys. And so if we start to see that, can we have girl groups or what other things can we do to support to support girls who, especially like mid to late adolescents, start exhibiting more signs of compromised well-being. I, I love that it's it's also it's not face to face like you were saying because that that can be really tough and intimidating, especially as you enter a new school year and you don't have that relationship with a teacher yet to to have that conversation sometimes we are just more comfortable being able to say oh here's how i feel but i don't have to actually tell you mm. so I, I love that i think it's really hard to tell an adult how you're feeling and i think sometimes also when people ask we aren't always sure do they like really want to know or is it just kind of this like how are you doing like kind of small talk and so whereas like this gives students a space to just say how they're doing and it and they know that it exists in this place but it's not this immediate like I have to look at you and tell you I'm feeling really lonely or sad and you talked you talked about um not necessarily well, I don't know if I'm going to word this the right way but not knowing how to name our emotions all of the time how how boys sometimes might they might really be sad, but it's presented as anger. It gives us a good opportunity to be able to, to talk with students and help them understand emotions, right? Yeah, and one thing we have is, which is my favorite, it's this bar graph and it's colored and it, um, it counts every, 
it counts the number of times each emotion has been selected. And so what we've seen is teachers will show that to the class for their own history, maybe at the end of the week or month, or they find a cadence that works. And what I love about that is students get to see that they're not the only ones feeling lonely or unmotivated or sad or kind of this restless blah feeling. And I think that there's some power in that because we tend to stigmatize our own emotions and to see that you're not the only one may help remove that self stigma and also bring them bring about a sense of community with your peers because all of a sudden it's not about you, but like how are we as a community doing, which can really help normalize not being okay. That's so powerful. That is so powerful. And so my head goes right away to the supports that can be offered to students. And you touched on that a little bit before, um, but normalizing emotions, no matter what they are and seeing that, you know, the emotions are common. It's not, you're not an island. You're not a silo. You are, you're feeling the human experience and it's not going to be fine or okay or great all the time. It's going to be rotten, lousy, tired, like exhausted, stressed. All, all of these are, are normal. And I just think back to when I was in high school and when I was an elementary kid and there was none of this realization. So kudos to you and your team for really bringing that to the forefront and giving students and teachers and school districts the ability to provide those needed supports. Thank you. Honestly, I think it came from, as a teacher, I felt so helpless at times because the things that my students were dealing with were really challenging beyond just being teenagers, which is already really hard in this era of social media and all that kind of pressure. And I felt so helpless because I couldn't control what was happening outside of the four walls of school. And what I focus so much on in my research is like, what can schools do? And so much of it comes down to teacher support and peer support and how that really can serve as a buffer for students experiencing stress. And so my hope was like, if I knew at least I could like love them and make them feel special and know that like I was here and I can't fix anything, but like I can be here if you want to sit or talk or cry or whatever you need to do. And that was really kind of the spirit behind it is like helping students feel safe and cared about and loved and seen and making school a little bit better in a time when nothing may feel particularly good. One of the most powerful quotes I've ever heard about education was my uncle was, was giving a speech about why he became a teacher. And it was he was coaching his son's soccer team. And well, he wasn't actually the coach at the time, but they, they said, we need a coach. And he was like, I don't know anything about soccer. I can't do that. And this guy looks at him and said, sometimes it's just the kids need you to be there for them. Mm -hmm. It wasn't anything about knowing how to be a soccer coach. It was just be there for the kids, love the kids. Mm -hmm. And that's what, that's what WellCheck's doing. It's helping teachers build those relationships. That's the goal. I remember my first year and there were so many days where I felt so ineffective and, but I, lucky I had really wonderful mentors who were like, but you showed up, you showed up every single day. And that was something that I could take with me is like, I was very consistent with my students and they knew I would be there. They knew what to expect from me. And like, I'm like an over peppy little white person, but like, that's what they knew. And so they at least knew what was going to happen when they walked into my door, even if we didn't accomplish all that we may have needed to get through on a given day. That's incredible. I think being there is, it's just huge. And depending and, and having that culture in your classroom or your school or school district of having students depend on, on teachers mm -hmm. and each other is huge. Um, Jody, tell us a little bit about 
uh, your PhD journey. And so it's not just you with WellCheck. There's a team that you've assembled that, that are kind of doing this together, that are out there changing the world of education. Um, talk to us a little bit about this team and how that came to be. Yeah, so I'm so lucky. My my mentor, Lini, she works very closely with me. She's wonderful. And she has been such a big support of mine. And she, in some ways, inspired me because one of her earlier PhD students was working on an app. I'm not an ed tech person. I did not like set out on this journey to create a business or an item. I was just like, what would have made my daily life easier as a teacher? And so much of my life was about relationships and having that like buy-in with students to encourage them to try things when they were hard or like whatever it was. And so seeing her kind of create this program with her student inspired me to think, well, like, what if we did it? And so I'm lucky I work with Catherine, who is so wonderful. She is a counselor and a licensed therapist. And then we have Julie, who's a school psychologist. And so she helps think about some of the ways that teachers and schools can support students. And then Dylan is kind of my tech advisor and he knows so much about user interface and all of the, like the flow of everything. And so kind of together we're figuring out how do we all utilize our own strengths, but how do we create something that hopefully helps students and teachers? Cause that's the goal. We want to make school better for however many students we possibly can. I think that's what we all want, right? And we, mm -hmm. we, gotta find, we gotta find those ways that we can all come together. I think that that's an awesome story of how you, how you guys are all doing this. Um, I, I'm curious, we're talking a lot about relationships and a lot about trauma and a lot about stress, especially over the last year and a half. Yeah. What do you think the most pressing thing facing education today is? That's such a good question. And I think, I think the hard part is right now we're coming at it from so many different angles. I know there's so much pressure to think about like learning loss and whatever that means and how do we make up for the last year. But I think right now, I, and of course it's like on brand, but I think so much of what I'm concerned about is student and teacher well-being and like how do we, first, how do we take care of our teachers? Because my leaning my advisor focuses a lot on like teacher well-being. And so a lot of our research around that talks about how when teachers aren't feeling great or supported and their and or their well-being is compromised, we see that trickle down into students. And that's not any fault of their own. It's just like when you don't have a full cup, you have less to pour from. And so I think first and foremost, like how are we gonna be able to take better care of our teachers? Because we're seeing this exodus from the field and we have teacher shortages everywhere. And so, and then the second part is really thinking about student well-being and how are we supporting students during these really difficult times, but also how are we thinking about moving forward and creating a population that is more empathetic and compassionate and patient and less, um, focus on like instant gratification and more kind of thinking about how do they learn because they love it and how do they find themselves and develop that sense of self. And so I think it's really hard because those are long-term investments and those don't, you don't see those turnaround test scores right away. But I think to the extent that we can focus on that as a system, we'll really reap the benefits in years and decades to come. I could just sit and listen to your wisdom all long ago. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, like wait till really like cool. I started talking about the brain like oh I could talk about that forever 
for real. Um, I, I listen to that too. I just, I really think what you're saying about empathy and being intrinsically motivated and taking time to reflect is, is so important. I, you know, nine and 10 year old kids, I try to get them to be intrinsically motivated and they're in charge of their own learning. It's not my classroom. It's our classroom. And I'm, I'm here to help you and I'll help you go as far as you want to go and probably a little further, but like, it's up to you. You have to learn the multiplication facts. I can't wave the magic book. Like, I don't know if you've seen it on Facebook. There's the picture of the kid that's like scooping up the goodness in the book and then like dumping it in his head, and then like turning the page and then doing the same thing. It doesn't work like that. So they have to be intrinsically motivated. I, what you're saying is so, so, so spot on. Um, and gosh. Tom, if it's okay, I'd like to interrupt since, since we've got her here and you, you talked about delayed gratification. I'm curious, in, in your opinion, how do, how do we get students to understand the joy mm. in delayed gratification that not, like, like what you're talking about, Tom, like you have to put in that work to learn your multiplication facts. It's not just you get a hop on a video game and boom, you're amazing at them now. Because that's, that's, one, that's one struggle I've seen over the last couple of years is students want to know it right away, but when it's hard, getting them to understand that grit and perseverance, like those are, those are life skills that we need. Yeah, I think one thing I was reading quite a bit about is this idea of yet and like really helping students to recognize that you might not be there yet. It doesn't mean you're never going to be there. And growth mindset is something people talk about a lot. And I know that the research has been a little bit mixed as far as how far does that actually take you. But I think if we even step aside from some of the more technical parts and just helping students remember that like they can do hard things. They, they can do hard things. It might be uncomfortable, but they can. And they might not be there today but or tomorrow, but they will get there. And so I think constantly showing them like to the extent that we can hold up mirrors to students and show them how far they've come or celebrate where they are. I remember my school when I first started didn't have a very strong testing culture. And, I, and that was something that was really important to me because I care... I cared about the score, but less so the score itself. I wanted my students to be able to sit down at a test that every other kid in the state was sitting down at and feel like, oh, I can do this instead of easily defeated and I don't know what this is and like putting their head down. And so my first year when they took the test, we got the results. And in the spring, we talked to them and I was like, but you were so close. Like, it doesn't matter that you didn't get there. Like, look how great you did. And we like really focused on how close they were. And later what we heard down the hall, like students was like, I was only 10 points away. And it was just like, and it's not about the test score, but it's like helping students recognize how far they've come and really this idea of yet and that we can do hard things and that our brain is a muscle. And there's really cool stuff about, um, plasticity in the brain and how our brains can like be rewired. There's a really cool YouTube video about London taxi drivers and how if you look at their brains compared to other people's brains, the part of their brain responsible for mapping is like bigger and like lights up more because they spend so much more time learning the map of London to like be to pass their test. And so it's just this really cool true kind of story about how our brains develop with practice and time. And sometimes I think that can be inspiring for students, but it's an ongoing kind of challenge and how do we get into each individual and show them that like they're making progress and yet there are also so many cool things they can continue to learn and do. That's really cool. The, uh, 
the plasticity of our brains is something that is absolutely intriguing to me and getting nine and 10 year old kids to realize it's, it's not like a fixed skill set or a fixed mind thinking, whatever it is, you can learn, you can grow and you can change. And then you might even have to go and relearn or mm-hmm. change some of your whatever schema and, you know, start over. But um, that's, it's just so cool. I'll have to check out that video too about, the, uh... I can hear it. The brain is wild. And I study a lot of like stress in the brain. And so and kind of not of surprising necessarily students exposed to a lot of stress from young ages, their brains develop a little bit differently. And we see like parts of their brains are different sizes and their gray matter may be a little bit, the density may be a little bit less than what you would see in the brain of someone who has not been exposed to stress. But the brain still changes over time and so when you put those students in supportive environments their brain it doesn't it's not going to look the same but it, it kind of redevelops in ways to meet the needs of that student and so to me that part of the research is so powerful because instead of just focusing on this feeling of deficit it's like no we just support the student and wrap ourselves around to the extent that we can and the brain will kind of take care of itself and also it's doing it for a reason which i think is pretty amazing that's really powerful, Josh. Think of all the power that we have in the classroom to support kids that may be going through stress. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm wondering if you have any resources that, that you could share with us that, that especially as elementary teachers, because I think that when we start talking about neuroscience, it can, it can go over some kids' yeah. heads. But I do think it's important for us to be able to sit there and talk with a fifth grader about a lot of these things. Um, so I was just wondering if you had any resources for us that we could share. Yeah, I think I can find some really cool resources. Um, I definitely can find the, the London Taxi video. And there's some really cool like neuroplasticity videos for younger, for younger students. I also think kids love learning about the brain and I'm super biased because I love learning about the brain, but I think that there's something really empowering about understanding how your mind works. And so I think there are probably really cool things that I can help find for y'all. That's cool. We'll put those in the, uh, in the notes. Mm-hmm. Um, the there, there's a book by um, Terry and I, I, I'm going to mess his last name up. Sajnowski is how I think you pronounce it. And it's called learning how to learn. And, and it's a book kind of written more towards early teenagers, so tweens, teens, that, um, that I think is really nice. I, have, I give my kids the option. You can read Learning How to Learn or I'll share another book and another book. And the amount of kids, just because you said that, that want to learn about their brain, I was blown away. I was thinking like, nobody's going to read it. Two kids are going to read I ended up having to go buy 10, 10 more books. And it's, it's awesome. It, it just goes to what you're saying. The brain is so cool. And there's also really cool things about like taste that kids can like learn and that aren't overly complicated about like how we different types of taste and just ways to like engage students and like kind of bring them into like what's happening in here and how does that work? It's really, it's really cool. Jody, I have to ask, since we're talking about brain and motivation, and we talked a little bit about teachers leaving the profession. So some Mm -hmm. teachers lose that spark. They lose the inspiration. What advice would you have to them to, to help reignite that spark or find that, that love of educating and teaching again? 
such a good question. So first, I feel so much like weird teacher guilt for not being in the classroom and I miss it so much. And I like tutor a bunch and that like kind of fills the holes. But I think for me, when I, when I first started teaching and you just sometimes you have days where you feel like you're like a punching bag and you just are like the person receiving all of this like teenage angst that's super frustrating. I, and it can be really kind of um, demoralizing. I think what somebody said to me once, and this isn't reflection of necessarily like where students are coming from per se, but she was like, you are the safest person for students to behave like that with. And that like, I'm not gonna yell at them, curse at them, scream at them, I'm not gonna hit them. And I'll be back tomorrow to like start again and make it new. And that really empowered me and helped give me this new insight into what my role was. And similarly for so many students, like we're the first line of defense. And that really gave me this like deep rooted sense of like pride, but also like responsibility and an awesome, like both wonderful, tremendous, but also like huge, awesome way. And I think that kind of helped reignite me on those tough days of knowing that it wasn't about me necessarily. And that I was a safe person for them to do that with. And then we can have conversations about how to handle situations with people who maybe aren't as safe as I am. I, uh, as you were talking, just reminded me of my son and he, he's in kindergarten. So it's a big transition for him, but he had a moment where he wasn't acting the way that was expected. And at the end of the day, we went to talk to his teacher and she just looked at him and said, Jax, I love you and tomorrow's a new day. Mm-hmm. And I, I loved that. It, I almost started to cry when she said it because that, that is his safe place. You know, school needs to be a safe place for kids. It can't just be home and it's not for home for every student, but school's got to be, teachers got to be that safe place where students can feel welcomed and loved unconditionally and know, man, I really messed up today, but my teacher's going to love me tomorrow the same as before. I was always also struck by like how much, even like I taught teenagers who were I'm pretty small in stature and they were like all bigger than I was and like towered over me and they looked grown, but they just wanted to be seen. I remember that there was a day where students like, why didn't you say good morning to me? And it was like 730 and I was like ticking off like what I needed to print. And I was like, I, I didn't even like, I wasn't even like paying attention. And it was just such a good reminder of how like they really look to us even when you don't think so. And I used to have a blanket in my room and one of the boys who was really tall and goofy and like not always doing his work and like just like kind of he and I he was just such a goof but like sometimes he would just like wrap the blanket around him because he just needed that like level of comfort and it was just a reminder that like students just need to feel seen everybody especially teenagers and younger students need to feel seen and cared about and loved and like when we can do that for them it's like really special and they sometimes their response is like you're so annoying but that to me is like yes, I am so annoying and I love you and that's great and we'll do it again tomorrow. <laughs> that means you're doing your job. You're making yeah. an impact. You're doing yep. what you need to. Oh, Jody, Man, this is, this is a riot. I love this. At the end of the interview, we always ask one final question. Um, what does the world need now? In the 60s, there was the song and Josh sometimes sings it, but <laughs> needs now. Yeah. There it is. So what do we need now? Here we are coming out of this, maybe coming out of this uh, pandemic. 
we have all this brain research, we have WellCheck to help us. What does the world need now? What does the world need now? I think a lot of like empathy and understanding. I feel like we're in this hyper-polarized place politically and even if the politics themselves don't trickle down, you just feel this tension existing and there's climate issue. Like there's so much going on right now. I think that we all need more like empathy and kindness for one another and for ourselves. And my hope is that we can continue to build better workplaces for teachers and better schools for students where they feel supported and cared about and seen. And because so much of the research shows like once when people feel better, everything else happens. They engage more, they attend more, they feel this greater sense of efficacy and they're more willing to take risks and it all ends up better. And so more than ever now, we need that kind of grace and kindness and empathy for one another. I agree 100%. We need to learn to see each other and hear each other a lot more than we're doing right now in all aspects. Yeah. Jody. Jody. Oh. <laughs> Jody, thank you so much for being with us. This has been an absolute blast. Um, thank you. Thank you. This is so fun. I, it's so fun. I love talking to you both. It's so fun. Ladies and gentlemen, that's our show. Thanks for tuning in this week. We're so thankful and appreciative that you took your time to listen to our guest, Jody Miller. Hopefully you're ready for another week of changing lives and hopefully what the world needs now is helping you to sustain your inspiration as you enter a new year. If it is, go ahead and hit that subscribe button. It helps us continue to get inspirational educator stories out. We hope that as you head out, you remember that the biggest factor that plays into student success is you. Your love, your passion, your empathy, your dedication is exactly what the world needs now. Thanks for everything you do. Have a good one.